Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. I went into Children's Church this morning and I had a little speaker with me, a little Bluetooth speaker. And I needed to pair it with my phone because I wanted a little bit of background music to one of the effects that I was showing your children. So I turned on the Bluetooth speaker and I went on my iPhone. Don't let the fact it's an iPhone distract you if you're not an Apple person. But I, I went to my iPhone, I went to the settings portion, to the Bluetooth portion, and saw the device was discoverable. My little speaker was discoverable. I clicked on the device, the little speaker in the list, the things were paired. My iPhone was paired with my speaker. But before that could happen, the speaker had to be discoverable. If you've ever gone through the process of pairing earbuds with your smartphone, same thing. Turn on the earbuds, they're discoverable. And you go to, the, you go to your settings and there it is. It's listed in the settings, you can pair the two. I submit to you that our God is making himself discoverable. That his desire is to hide in plain sight that people might discover him. And I would suggest to you that Liberty Baptist Church for 45 years has been making God discoverable, bringing him in contact with the community, with the, the, not only the community, but the city, not only the city, but the county, not only the county, but Southern California, yea, even around the world, making God discoverable. I love that concept, that God is hiding in plain sight. We have five children, three boys and two girls. Timothy, Rachel, second Timothy, Rebecca. Actually, we named him Thomas. We named him Thomas. Thomas, Ray, uh, Rebecca, and Jonathan. And with those kids, as we would visit my in-laws from time to time, who also lived in Phoenix uh, for a while, my two oldest children, they were like five and three at the time, and they would play hide-and-seek with grandma, or excuse me, with grandpa. Grandma wasn't playing hide-and-seek, but, but they would play with grandpa. And grandpa would go hide. I would count with the kids. So grandpa's hiding. I'm counting with the kids. And we count. And I notice how grandpa's hiding. He's not a very good hider. Why he got down in the, in the living room, he got down on all fours, was hiding behind a recliner chair. And only his head and shoulders were behind the chair. Well, the rest of him was sticking out. I said, I think he's hiding to be found. And my suspicions were confirmed because after we counted, my kids went running through the house, Timothy and Rachel, and they readily found him. But oh, when they found him, that's when the laughter began. That's when the memories were made. That's when the tickling occurred. Can I tell you, God is hiding himself in plain sight. 
He's wanting to be found. And boy, when you find him, that's when the joy begins. That's when the peace begins. That's when new life begins. Now, just by way of introduction, I'll tell you ahead of time as I've looked at this, this is not a balanced message in this regard. Usually your introduction is brief and your time in the text is longer. But I just want you to see this as we get into the text that we'll direct you to in a moment. God is making himself discoverable. He's constantly making himself discoverable. Well, you and I know that God reveals himself. The word revelation means unveiling. It, it talks about discovering. It talks about uncovering. And so our God is constantly, constantly revealing himself to man. Our God does this through what's called general revelation. You're in a Bible preaching, Bible teaching church. You've heard this. Maybe you've been in a, a class on doctrine or theology. You've heard this. God reveals himself in a general way. Number one, through creation. God is revealing himself through what he has made. And if all we had, according to the book of Romans chapter one, if all we had was what God created, if that's all we knew about God, there are two things we would know. We would know, number one, that God is. That is that God exists. And number two, we would know that God is powerful. Why, even a four-year-old realizes that a room does not clean up itself. You can't get something organized without an organizer. And you and I, when we look at the design of the earth around us, we realize there must be a designer. He is powerful. You look into the heavens, and boy, don't we feel so small when we see the stars stretch from horizon to horizon across the canopy of the sky. We feel so small. Stand at the rim of the Grand Canyon and look down. We feel so small. Stand, be on a ship outside of a glacier that's having. Boy, we feel so small. All of these things remind us that we have a big God. He is, and He is powerful, and He is, he is God. And so there's general revelation, general revelation through creation. But secondly, I'll pause there for a moment. In general, in, general in, in general revelation through creation, we may not know God's name. We may not know there's a Savior. But through what God has made, he impresses upon us that he is and that he's powerful. And then not only creation, but there's general revelation through conscience also, isn't there? Romans chapter 2 reminds us there is a law written on our hearts. It is a law that comes to us in the form of conscience. There's a sense of oughtness in us. In every human being, and it might vary, it may vary from culture to culture, but every human being is, 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 has built into them that there are some things that are wrong, and if I do those things, I feel guilty, and there are things that are right. And when I do those right things, I do not feel guilty. There is in each chest the, the, the umpire, the umpire called the conscience, and that conscience also is part of God making himself discoverable to us. We see that he's big, we see that he is powerful, and then we have that sense that, oh, but I have offended. I have, I have broken the law that's even written on my heart. And in that sense, we also understand there is a day of reckoning. One day we'll stand before God. But this conscience resonates with what we see around us. I believe that's why the Bible says on more than one occasion, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Because we're denying what we see and we're denying what's inside of us. God reveals himself to us through general revelation, through creation and through conscience. 
But again, if that's all we had, we might not know of his mercy. We might not know of his compassion. We might not know of the plan of salvation. So God graciously makes himself discoverable through special revelation. Not just general to creation and conscience, but special revelation. God has revealed himself to us through the word written. Through the Bible written. Now you and I know that this book I hold in my hands is not like any other book on the planet. This book is not like any other book on the planet. You and I realize it's written over a period of time of 1,400 years by over 40 different authors. And those authors are from a variety of backgrounds. They weren't all preachers. They're from a variety of backgrounds. But the Bible, written over 1,400 years by over 40 different authors, has a unity that is just supernatural. When you look at the Bible, the guys that wrote later do not correct the things that the guys wrote earlier. There is a unity in the Word of God. One preacher said, from table of contents to concordance, there's a unity in the Word of God. Perhaps the most compelling evidence that that book is not like any other book are the prophecies contained in its pages. One man did the research. He said that for one man, Jesus, to fulfill just eight prophecies to the letter from the Old Testament, why the odds of that were one hundred million billion. Draw me a picture. I can't picture what that is. He said if you took silver dollars and covered the state of Texas from border to border, north, south, east, and west, covered it with two feet of silver dollars, and you took one and put an X on it, and you dropped it down in there, mixed it all in there, and then you took a blindfolded person and just let them go wherever they wanted to, the odds of them pulling out the one marked coin are the same odds as Jesus fulfilling just eight Old Testament prophecies. But he fulfilled over 40. The Bible's not like any other book. It's God's written word. It is a special revelation. It's there we learn that God loves us. It's there that we learn that we have violated his commands. It's there that we learn that a holy God must deal with sin. It's there that we learn God has dealt with sin through his son on the cross. And so here we find out God's name. We find out more of his attributes. We find out that he's merciful, that he's compassionate. We find out that he always takes the initiative on our behalf. He's always seeking after us. So we have general revelation through creation, through conscience, special revelation through the word written, but then especially through the word incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know what God is like? Study the life, ministry, and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us and shows us and demonstrate what God is, demonstrates what God is like. Hebrews 1 lets us know, it lets us know that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory, the express image of God's person. Why, in the Old Testament, some people make the mistake. They say the Old Testament is all thunderclaps and lightning bolts and all of that. But, but no, the Old Testament tells us that God is compassionate, that God forgives transgressors, that God is merciful. But it's in the New Testament we see God standing on a hillside, lamenting over Jerusalem and the tears streaming down his face. The Word incarnate. So God is making himself discoverable through general revelation, creation, conscience, through special revelation, the Word written, the Word incarnate. But I want to suggest to you tonight, and this is where Liberty Baptist Church comes in, and this is where each of us comes in. This is where the guy that wears my shoes comes in. 
I, I believe that God is not only revealing himself to us through general revelation and through special revelation, but through, through a third avenue that gets missed in the theology classes, that gets missed in the doctrine classes, but gets taught very clearly in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Would you look there with me, please? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. General revelation, creation, conscience, special revelation, the word written, the word incarnate. And I suggest to you tonight, there's a third area God wants to make himself discoverable, and it's through what we call relational revelation. You have general, special, relational. In other words, God wants to make himself discoverable through you and through me. How else will people see what God is like if they don't see it in us. Matthew chapter 5, beginning of verse 13, we'll start there. The Bible says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You and I understand that. Salt is noted for its distinctness. And when it is not, when it is not distinct, it is then rubbish. It is thrown out. It's discarded. And we live in a, in a world and in a culture that seeks to conform Christians to the culture that's around us. We've got to be distinct in our ethics, in our morals, in our attitudes, and in our outlooks. We've got to be different than the world because we are. We're new creatures in Christ. So he says, you're the salt of the earth. And then it goes on. He says, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle under, and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. That makes sense. Nobody once said, hey, light the uh, candle. Hey, get me a clay pot, a uh, bushel's worth there, uh, something that'll hold a bushel. Let's cover the candle with it. No, you light it. It gives light to all that are in the house. And then we come to verse 16, a command, a mandate, an imperative, not a suggestion to me, but an imperative, a mandate. He says in verse 16, let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I love the fact that this text breaks down into three simple principles. The place, the process, and the purpose. Jesus said to his men, let your light so shine, like the candle in the, in the uh, household, like the city that is set on a hill that can't be missed. Unmistakably, men, you let your light shine. Where? Number one, the place before men. The place before men. Let your light so shine before men. This is why we do not, once we're saved, go join a, a, some kind of a compound somewhere with high walls and just isolate ourselves from the world. And sometimes we're tempted to do that because people who don't know the Lord act like people who don't know the Lord. And so what we want to do is insulate ourselves from those kinds of people. But the problem is sometimes people who do know the Lord act like people who don't know the Lord. So what we do is we isolate ourselves. Hey, I have a Christian barber. I, I was looking for a place to get my hair cut. Found a Christian barber. Hey, I, I found a Christian tax man. Hey, I found a Christian used car sales. I found a Christian tax man. 
Uh, there's, there are great, great men of integrity that love God who were selling used cars. And so we do that. We, we insulate ourselves. When I was in Moreno Valley, a couple came to me once because the, the city was growing and, and God was uh, giving us favor. And so as a couple came up once, they said, hey, pastor, there's a new family moving in next door to us. We just found out they were Christians. I said, oh, that's too bad. They said, no, they're Christians. I said, that's too bad. They said, what do you mean? I said, I, I thought maybe the Lord had trust you enough to move a family in that didn't know the Lord so they could see what a family that does know the Lord looks like. Oh, pastor, you're so negative. <laughs> but that's the place before men. The place is before men. You and I, we have to realize people are watching us. Uh, that doesn't mean we get all paranoid and weird, but people are watching our testimony. And I'm telling you, the place is before men. The place for the good works is before men. The place before men. And it may be something, oh, I, I remember once we were driving to church. And as we were driving to church, we were running late a little bit and we stopped at the traffic light. There's one traffic light in beautiful Yucca Valley at the time. We hit that traffic light. And I looked around, we're in our church clothes and we're going to worship the Lord. And there were other people at the light. Nobody's happy to be at the traffic light. And some of them were dressed like they were going to church, not the church we attended, but they were going to church. And I looked around and nobody looked happy. Nobody looked happy. We had all resorted to what we call our face by default our default face and it's not pretty when we relax if we forget that we have a countenance that people can see if we forget that we have an expression that people can read we sometimes revert back to our default face my default face and I'm trying to work on it <laughs> I'm trying to work my default face looks like I'm a little angry it just looks, we have a wedding picture. I'm walking down the aisle with my bride, my, my brand new bride, my wonderful wife. We're walking down the aisle and somebody snapped a picture and I just look upset. I look angry. That's my default face. It just looks a tad angry. I was at a grocery store and a 19-year-old guy that's barely seen any life, he's the cashier and he says to me out loud for other people to hear, cheer up, sir, things could be worse. I said, I will have you know I am a happy person. <laughs> and here's a track, because I know you want what I've got. <laughs> Boy, it just doesn't show the joy unspeakable and full of glory. We're not commanded to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Peter just assumes we have joy unspeakable or indescribable and full of glory. We need to sometimes let our faces know. I know I need to let my face know. You are a happy person. Yes, I am. I'm a happy person. The place is before men. The place before men. Would you say that with me? The place before men. So tomorrow morning when we get up and get about the day, we need to remember God has a plan. He wants to make himself discoverable through me and through you. And the place he wants to do that, number one, is before men. And the process that he uses is described here. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. That they may see your good works. Now, I remember when I was 15, I recommitted my life to Christ. I'm so thankful for the bus ministry. 
I'm so thankful for children's church workers that poured themselves into boys and girls. I'm so thankful for a clear presentation of the gospel. And I remember, I, I remember uh, as I was um, uh, going to church and, and all, I was 15 years old and I decided I wanted to memorize the Sermon on the Mount because that's what Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 are. They're the Sermon on the Mount. And boy, don't you know that'll do something in a 15-year-old's heart when you memorize the Sermon on the Mount. And so I was memorizing it. But I got to tell you, candidly, to a certain degree, I was being a rebel while I was doing that. I was being a rebel. Here's how it would work. Dad would come in at night. We'd have a conversation. He'd say, good night. I'd say, good night. He'd turn out the light, close the door. And then I would grab my Bible from off my desk, open it to Matthew 5 and get a flashlight and start memorizing scripture. I know, what a rebel, right? What a rebel. Supposed to be asleep in bed and I'm memorizing scripture, but I'm thinking, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Oh, we caught you. What are you doing? I'm memorizing scripture. Yeah, well, okay. What are they going to do? But you can't get into the Sermon of the Mount very far till you get to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, there were warnings about hypocrisy. And the Lord says, don't pray like the hypocrites do. They pray to be seen of men. Don't give like the hypocrites do. They give to be seen of men. Don't fast like the hypocrites do. They give to be seen of men. But prior to that, I'd memorize Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine the place before men. Wait a minute, what's going on here? Well, you know, the hypocrites always did those things loudly and proudly to be a spectacle, not as a servant. That was their goal, to, to be a spectacle and not a servant. And being a spectacle means you say, look at me, look at me, look at me. But when you serve, it says, look at my Savior. Look at my Savior. Let your light so shine before men. The place before men. The process, good works. The process, good works. Would you say that with me? The process, good works. Let's say it again. The process, good works. People say sometimes, why do you have people repeat things? Why do you do that? Because I have five children. And on the way home from church, I'd say, what'd you learn in church today? And they'd say, uh, the Bible. What'd you learn from the Bible? I'm glad they're teaching the Bible. What'd you learn from the Bible? Uh, we learn about the Lord. But after a while, they get wise. Hey, Dad, what'd you learn in church today? <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> so tonight, if somebody says, hey, what'd you learn in church today? We could tell them, man, we learned out of Matthew 5, 16, the place is before men. The process is, is good works. And a good work can be defined as anything that helps to lighten somebody else's load. Anything that's a blessing. I talked about the default face, you know, just a smile, just a kind greeting everybody's having a hard time. Just something, it could be small, it could be something incidental, or it may be something monumental, but good works, that's what God uses to put himself on display before others. But what's the purpose of this? And here, honestly, here's where I would often check out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, because I'm familiar with the verse, and my problem is if I'm familiar with the verse, I think I know the verse. I think I know. So what happens is I listen with half of a heart. I don't listen attentively. 
But what is the purpose of doing good works before men? You see what the Bible says at the end of verse 16. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now you can find all kinds of verses that tell you you ought to glorify God. I remember when we had the, the five children at home, we had a policy, no Bible, no breakfast. If we didn't have time to read our Bible as a family in the morning, we didn't have time to eat breakfast. I will tell you, we never missed breakfast. But what we would do, we would go through a time of training. And in this training, we use what's called a catechism. A catechism is a question and answer format for the purpose of just passing along the faith to our family. And one of the first questions was, what is the chief aim of man? Well, the chief aim of man is to know God and to enjoy him forever chief name of man. But as a part of that also is to glorify God, to glorify God. I will never forget when that dawned on me. I recommitted my life when I, to the Lord when I was 15, saved when I was 10. And my parents started coming to the church where I uh, was, was saved. And my dad, he, he was a Christian, he became a Christian when he was a teenager, recommitted his life to Christ. And then, and then my mom got saved, uh, gloriously saved. And I mean, God did a change in my family. And my dad bought a record album from the church bookstore, a record album, a vinyl record album. And it came with a little workbooklet. I just love this. And my dad, we had this hi-fi, not Wi-Fi, hi-fi stereo, hi-fi stereo. And it had a spindle there on the turntable. And you could put like five record albums on there. You remember those, right? And it had the little, little arm to hold it all in place. And, and you turned a little knob and the turntable would begin to turn and a record would drop onto the turntable. And then the needle would just move like magic, move over. And this is what you heard. Remember that? And this is what it said. We're all gathered at the table. We got our Bibles. Why are we here? Yeah. What is our purpose for existence? Why didn't God just take us home when we got saved? And I'm thinking, yeah, why are we here? And he told us, he showed us clearly out of the Bible. My dad had the family together. This guy was telling us, showing us what the Bible said, that we are here to glorify God. That's why we're here. We're here. What does that mean, though? What does that mean? Well, let me suggest two definitions. One, to glorify God means to make much of God. You see that in the Psalms over and over again, don't you? We see in the Psalms where the psalmist says, great is the Lord. What does that mean? It means that God is heavy in my life. God has made an impact. God carries weight in my life. Great is the Lord, making much of God. But it also means this. It means putting God's character on display. Putting God's character on display. There are plenty of verses that teach us where to glorify God. But I want you to look at Matthew 5, 16 again. Listen to it as I read it. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That they might glorify your Father which is in heaven. I know I'm supposed to give God glory, but the whole purpose, it seems, for us to let our light shine, the whole purpose for making God discoverable is so that others would make much of our God. 
That people would know his character through us, that people would make much of our God. That they'd say things like, your God must be generous because I know you worship him and you are generous. Your God must be merciful because I tell you, I've done some things, but you have cut me some slack. Your God must be merciful. Your God must be compassionate. Your God must be amazing. Your God must be fulfilling. Your God must be satisfying. Your God must be more than enough making much of our God. How will they know what he is like unless we show them? General revelation, special revelation, relational revelation. You and I, as we traffic in this community, as we traffic where we live, God wants to make himself discoverable to the cashier at the supermarket. He wants to make himself discoverable. I used to say to the cashier that we pay for getting gas. We don't do that anymore. But there are other people around us that are also getting gas. God wants to make himself discoverable through us to our neighbors, to our teammates, to our classmates, to our families. God wants to make himself discoverable. Can a little gesture really change a person's life? Can it really make that much of a difference? You've probably heard the story of Carol. She wrote it out as a testimony. Carol was going to her favorite coffee place. And when she went to pay for her coffee beverage, the person said, you don't have to pay for your coffee. The person in front of you paid. Carol said, why did he do that? She said he was just paying it forward. So Carol thought, wow, that's kind of cool. I think I would like to do that for somebody. So every time she goes to her favorite coffee shop, she looks in the rearview mirror, we've done it as well, to see if the person behind her is worthy of a free cup of coffee. And one day, one day, God prompted her to buy a cup of coffee for the person behind her. Well, she looked, oh no, not that person. That person's driving a red convertible. Blonde hair and jewelry, the sunlight's gleaming off of that. Lord, I think the person behind me ought to buy me a cup of coffee. I don't think, I've, but the Spirit of God was relentless. And so finally, it came time to pay, and Carol said, and let me also pay for the order behind me. And then came that peace that comes from obeying God's promptings. Carol had some errands to run. She pulls into a parking spot. She runs her errands, leaving the coffee in the car there. She comes back, and the lady in the red convertible has pulled into the spot right next to Carol's car. And she's out of the car, leaning against the uh, trunk of the convertible, and she sees Carol coming. Carol comes to her car, and the lady says, I just want to thank you for buying me a cup of coffee this morning. Carol said, glad to do it, with a twinge of guilt, because she really wasn't glad to do it. And she said, just paying it forward, you know, some little cliche. And the lady said, no, you don't understand. Can I talk to you for a minute? Carol put her stuff in the trunk of her car, and those ladies stood out there, and the lady for whom she bought the coffee said, my husband and I, we're going through a very difficult time right now. We had a business partner that has robbed us of so much, we may have to file for bankruptcy. We were ethical, we were people of integrity, and we, we just got knocked down, robbed, basically. She said, in addition to that, my 30-year-old son succumbed to cancer 
last month. And, and honestly, I was sitting in my car. And I was thinking, God, are you there? I know you're there. Do you care about us? Do you see what we're going through? Where are you? And I got to the window and was informed that God put it on the heart of a stranger to buy me a cup of coffee. You have no idea what that meant to me this morning. Carolyn and her husband had gone through some similar difficulties and those ladies right there, the lady in the red convertible had discovered the God that Carol was putting on display. Yeah, little things can make a difference. For me as a bus kid, the Lord used a little piece of double bubble bubble gum. Our bus, our bus captain was out there trying to start a bus route in our neighborhood. And man, he had a pocket full of gum and it was my favorite kind. It was called gum. <laughs> I love gum. And so he, uh, he said, hey kids, come here. And, and um, he said, uh, uh, ask your parents if you could have this. I want to invite you to church. We have a big bus that'll come and pick you up and we'll have a great time at church. And so uh, I went and I, I asked my mom and dad for permission to chew a little piece of gum. And they gave me permission. They gave us permission to go on the bus. I am so thankful for a little piece of gum that a generous bus driver used to demonstrate God's availability and God's approachability so that I could go to church and hear the gospel. Maybe you heard the testimony of a guy named Josh. When he was in the third grade, he'd been in the principal's office six times in the third grade. That spells trouble. He loved his principal. He even named him in the article he wrote. His name was Kincaid. He said, it's not that Mr. Kincaid spanked very hard. Yeah, that was back in the day. He said, but it was that I was afraid I had so let down and disappointed this man that I respected so much. He said, I, I, and I, I didn't do things like intentionally to get in trouble. I just, they just, trouble found me. He said, I was on the bus. There was a girl that I thought was attractive. I pulled on her braid. Another trip to the principal's office. He said, the last time I was in the principal's office, just prior to that, I was sitting in the classroom. And the teacher called my name, Joshua. He said, yes, ma'am. She said, the principal wants to see you. You need to go to Mr. Kincaid's office right now. And he's thinking, what did I do? I'm doing math. What did I do? What did I do now? Racking his brain. What did I do? What did I do? He gets into the principal's office. Principal standing behind the desk says, Joshua, sit down. Principal sits down and says, now listen, this is what I've heard. I've heard that you are doing really well in school now. And I just wanted you to know, I am so proud of you. Keep up the good work. And Joshua said, me? <laughs> and the principal had on his desk a, a, a jar, a candy jar that had peppermints in it. And he opened the lid of that. He took out a peppermint, handed it to Joshua. He said, here, go back and keep up the good work. He said, I held onto that peppermint like it was a gold coin. He got back to the classroom. You know what kids do? Hey, why'd you have to go to the principal's office? Mr. Kincaid just wanted to tell me how proud he was of me. Of you? Of me. 
of peppermint. He says, I held onto it like it was a gold coin. Changed the direction of that three, or third grade boy. Changed the direction. Just a little gesture. Yeah, God can use little things. And oftentimes he does. So let your light so shine, Liberty Baptist Church. Where's the place? It's before men. What's the process? Good works. What's the purpose? God's glory. The purpose? God's glory. The purpose? God's glory. Say that with me. The purpose? God's glory. Let's say it again. The purpose? God's glory. God is making himself discoverable through you and through me. That's his plan. You've been doing that for 45 years. May God bless you in the years ahead as you continue to make him discoverable in this community and around the world. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.